Amen. Appreciate it. Well, it's good to be here today. Are you guys excited to be here? I'm always excited for Sunday fun day. It's a great day, best day of the week. Uh, and we are going to have kind of a, a, another worship set or our, our real worship set at the end of our service today rather than the beginning. Some of you are looking at me like, why is he already up there, all right? Uh, don't worry, uh, when the preaching is the same no matter what time it starts, right? So uh, you can still hear from God at 9.15. It's not, you don't have to wait till 9.30. Uh, it, can, it can happen. And so uh, we're going to take communion together uh, at the end of service today. Uh, and we'll do that with uh, some more songs as we worship the Lord. So you can kind of be ready for that. Uh, I'm Pastor Jake, the lead pastor here. Um, excited that you came to worship with us today. I know that you could have been a lot of places today, could have done a lot of things today, but you chose to be here with us. And so I just wanted to say thank you for that. Thank you for coming and uh, choosing to be here in service with us. I think you made the right choice, but I could be biased. I'm not sure. Um, happy Father's Day. Let's give a round of applause to the fathers in the house. Uh, we have a gift for you. Uh, we spent a lot of money and time crafting this gift. And so I really want you to be excited about it. Uh, you'll get it on the way out. It's a Snickers bar, okay? Uh, so I, what do you want from me, all right? What do you want from me, like a gun? I don't have enough money, all right? I can't give guns to everybody and probably shouldn't, okay? Uh, I know some of you, I'm not going to give you a gun, all right. Uh, but you can get that on your way out. Um, we are in week three of a series called Small Fry on the smallest, most overlooked books of the New Testament, Jude. Philemon, 2 John, and 3 John, and we're in Jude right now. We've talked about how in Jude, the main message of this letter is to fight for faith. Everybody say, fight for faith. Yeah, and so in week one, we just talked about uh, what that means. What is the faith that Jude is uh, talking about? And then last week, we uh, looked at where Jude led us to talk about the why. Why do we fight for faith? We fight for faith because uh, there are forces out from outside and from within the church that seek to entice you and pull you away from the truth, biblical truth, and away from God himself. And so we have to, we have to fight. Last week uh, was a warning from Jude uh, to you and to me. And if you missed either of those, you can grab uh, that podcast off of iTunes or uh, the message off of the website. Make sure you listen to that uh, this week. And then today, we are starting three weeks where we're talking about how we fight for faith. Jude is talking about how we fight for faith. And uh, we're basically just studying uh, verses 20 through 23 in the book of Jude. So if you have your Bible, uh, why don't you grab it, head over to uh, the book of Jude. It's the second to last book in the New Testament. Uh, and look at verses 20 through 23. If you don't have a Bible, didn't bring one, uh, you can grab your phone or your tablet and head over to the YouVersion Bible app. Click on event or live, and uh, you'll see all of our notes and all of our scriptures. We also have our notes in our bulletins. Uh, if you got one, you can follow along and uh, fill in the blanks there. So uh, in verse 20, it says this in Jude verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment 
stained by the flesh. And so this foundational phrase or idea within this whole thing is in verse 20, and it's keep yourselves in the love of God. And so uh, as we look at this the next three weeks, we're using that as our foundation, and we're going to talk about that specifically today. And then next week, uh, we're going to look at the statement just before and after that, building yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that next week and talk about not just talking but but doing, and that'll be kind of the theme for next week. Then we'll look at the last part in our last week on Jude uh, in verse 22. Just have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. So this is where we're going the next three weeks, today included. I just wanted to uh, let you in on that so that you can come and be a part of it. And also I would love if you would uh, grab your Bible this week, next week, the week after, and study uh, these, these verses as we use them as our foundation as, as we go on in this series, Small Fry. But today, we're talking about fighting for faith by not just starting, but staying. Keep the faith. Keep yourself in the love of God. Not just starting, but staying. So lately, um, airlines have been in the news, right? Airlines and how they treat pra- passengers, how they book tickets, has kind of been in the news lately. Uh, There was a guy on a United flight, right? You guys know this story? You've been hearing this, okay? Uh, A guy on a United flight who uh, was told to to get off the flight and didn't want to. His name was uh, Dr. David Dow. And so basically, he had bought a ticket, had sat on the, in his seat, was already boarded, had already boarded the, the, the plane, and the, the, the flight attendants came out and said, hey, we need to make some room because we've got uh, some other flight attendants and pilots and whatever that need to get to this place, and we need some of you to give up your seat, and you're just going to have to find another way to get where you want to go. And so they... Nobody volunteered, right? And so they chose some people. I don't know how they chose some people, but they chose some people. One of them was Dr. Dow, and Dr. Dow said, no, I'm not getting out of my seat. I bought a ticket. I'm sitting in my seat. This is my seat. I bought a ticket, right? Um, And they ended up having to drag him off of the plane. Somebody got a video of it, and he's bleeding and all of this, right? Have you seen this? And so don't feel super sorry for the guy. Because he's filthy rich now, all right? In fact, my in-laws flew up when we moved here a couple of, uh, a month or two ago, and uh, I, I told them, I said, hey, see if you can get dragged off the plane. <laughs> and if you get dragged off, just make sure you bleed, because then we'll be rich, all right? They didn't do it, so I don't know. I don't know why they didn't take me up on that. But yeah, the, the basic problem is this common practice in airlines of kind of hedging their bets, right? Like, what I mean by that is that they know who needs to go where in their company, and they know how many tickets and seats they have, how many have been bought, and how many haven't. Uh, It's just math. They know those things, and yet uh, they will at times overbook. They will at times uh, allow more tickets to be sold than seats that they actually have on a plane. And uh, if If you've ever been in that situation where you're um, at the gate and you're ready to go and the the gate agent gets on the microphone and says, okay, we need three passengers, three passengers to volunteer to not go where you want to go today. Volunteer to have the worst day of your life. Anybody? Right? And nobody volunteers and then they go, okay, 
uh, we'll give you $200, a voucher for $200 and a free flight if you would just volunteer to go. Nobody, and if, you, if you're sitting there with your ticket, it get, it's a little confusing, confusing for Dr. Dow probably too because you're thinking, I got, but, but I bought a ticket, right? Everybody bought a ticket. We have seats. It's our seat. It's on the plane. There's only a certain amount of pl- seats on the plane, a certain amount of tickets. I bought a ticket. Why? Why can't I get on the plane? What's the problem here? Sometimes airlines are good at taking reservations, but not so good at keeping them, right? That reminds me of the Seinfeld episode where Jerry reserves a rental car. I don't know if you've... Rental car places are notorious for this kind of logic, too. And he goes up to the counter and he says, I have a reservation for a car. And the lady says, I'm so sorry. We don't have any cars to rent out. I found this clip for you because I like it a lot, so you can watch it. Go, go, Can I help you? Name, please. Uh, Seinfeld, uh, you made a reservation for a midsize, and she's a small. <laughs> I'm kidding around, of course. Yes. Um, okay, let's see here. Oh, I'm sorry, we have no midsize available at the moment. I don't understand, I made a reservation. Do you have my reservation? Yes, we do. Unfortunately, we ran out of cars. But the reservation keeps the car here. That's why you have the reservations. I know why we have reservations. I don't think you do. (laughs) If you did, I'd have a car. (laughs) See, you know how to take the reservation. You just don't know how to hold the reservation. And that's really the most important part of the reservation, the holding. Anybody can just take them. Let me uh, speak with my supervisor. Uh, here we go. The supervisor. You know what she's saying over there? What? Hey, Marge, see those two people over there? They think I'm talking to you. So you pretend like you're talking to me. Okay, now you start talking. Oh, you mean like this, so it looks like I'm saying something, but I'm not really saying anything at all? Okay, now you say something else, and they won't yell at me because they thought I was checking with you. Oh, great, I think. Okay. I think that's enough. See you later. Oh, I'm sorry, my supervisor says there's nothing we can do. Yeah, it looked like you were in a real conversation over there. (laughs) Yeah, you're good at taking them. You're just not good at holding them, right? You're not good at keeping them. A lot of us, we're good at starting things. We're just not good at keeping them up, right? Uh, We're we're not great at staying. We all try to teach our kids this, right? Like I have an eight-year-old, three-year-old, and a one-year-old. My eight-year-old, Kennedy, she, I'm trying to teach her this. Like I tell her to go clean her room. And I go up, and I'm like, what happened? I I told you to clean your room an hour ago. Like, it's still a mess. And Kennedy goes, I started cleaning it, but I started, Daddy. I'm like, that's great, sweetie, but it doesn't matter, right? What matters is that you finish. What matters is that you keep going. You can't just, when I say go clean your room, I'm talking clean it from start to finish. At some point, you stopped cleaning, and you started playing, right? And that was the problem. That was the the danger. And so now you got to finish cleaning your room, start to finish. You got to keep going. You can't just start it. You got to keep going. My three-year-old Joshua is wrestling with this idea too, but in a different way. We're constantly talking to him about choosing to be good, choosing to make good decisions, right? If you spend any time with us as a family, you will hear those phrases just kind of flow out of us to our son Joshua all the time. Make good decisions. Choose to be good. Choose to be good. I mean, the force is strong in this one. You know what I'm talking about? 
I mean, the force is just strong. And right now, it, we don't know which way it's going to go. Could be Vader. <laughs> could be Luke Skywalker. We don't know. And so the force is strong. And so we're trying to get this kid to choose the light, all right? We're trying to get him to choose the light, but so far it's a toss-up. <laughs> Chooses the dark side a lot, and we're trying to get him to the light. And a lot of times he'll start choosing good. He'll start out really well. He'll start out making good decisions, stopping himself from doing something crazy that he knows will get him in trouble. He'll have a good day making good decisions. But then at the very end of the day, he'll make like a string of horrible decisions. He'll choose darkness over light over and over and over and over right at the end of the day. Like he'll get a towel and he'll put it in the sink and he'll flood the room. Or he will just run across the living room and execute a pretty perfect flying people's elbow into my six-pound dog, right? And, or my daughter Kennedy or his baby sister Hannah. And so we, we're trying to get him, no, don't, don't do that. You started good, but you need to end good too. You need to keep going. It's kind of back and forth. And the other day we were at a get-together with the Allen Springer Life Group, and everyone is um, close to our age in that life group, so there were like 63 kids there, and uh, there were toys and stuff, so the whole day, the whole afternoon was just parents telling kids to share. That's all we did. We're just like, share, okay, but you have to share, but you have to share, you know, and so there was this uh, Batman little car uh, that kids kind of use their feet to kind of walk slash drive this thing, you know what I mean? And uh, so everybody wanted this thing, and uh, my kid, Joshua, was one of the kids that wanted it, and uh, nobody wanted to share it. And so we were just talking over and over and over about sharing. And so um, Nate Allen and I were off to the side talking because um, when there's 63 kids and they don't want to share, that's what dads do. We extricate ourselves from the situation and pretend like we have something important to talk about. Right, dads? That's what we do. And so we were off to the side and we were watching and the whole thing, we're just share, share, share. We're all failing. Parent fail, parent fail, parent fail. Our kids don't know how to share. This is a basic thing. We're failing. And I see from a distance my son Joshua, my three-year-old Joshua, uh, get out of the Batmobile and, and let another kid have it. And so I just stop Nate mid-conversation, mid-sentence. I just stop him and go, my son just shared parenting win. <laughs> and immediately Nate looks at Joshua and we both watch Joshua get out of the Batmobile, give it to someone else, walk straight over to run, straight over to a tree that was in the middle of all the tables where everyone was sitting, drop trowel, and begin to urinate on this tree. <laughs> and Nate is just laughing, right? He's just like, he's like, yeah, parenting win, <laughs> right? That was awesome. Yeah. I'm constantly talking to my son. You got to stay good, son. You did something good, but you got to choose good over and over. You got to stay there. That was our first time hanging out with a bunch of people from church. Great first impression. We know how it's done in the Mills household, all right? Constantly talking to them, you got to stay. You started good, but you got to stay there. It's not just starting, it's staying, it's finishing. 
And it's the same way with our faith. Jude has been talking about fighting for faith, fighting for faith. Because there are these forces coming against true biblical faith from inside and outside the church. And now he's saying, how do we fight? We fight by keeping the faith, by staying there, by remaining, by persevering. We, we live in a culture that loves quick starts, right? We live in a culture that loves big beginnings, fast results. We celebrate the guy who is sec- successful right out of the gate. That's what we get excited about. And don't get me wrong, starting is important, right? Like, you, just logically, you got to start sometime, right? You got to start. You got to begin. You got to get going. I get that. You have to start somewhere. But fighting for faith is not just starting, but staying, That culture of quick results has come into our church or the church as a whole. We emphasize the beginning. We talk about people who raise their hands for salvation or the number of people who are sitting in a room, all of which should be celebrated and should be talked about. But my fear is that we neglect the other side. We talk a lot about the starting, but little about the staying, the persevering. And yet the scriptures seem to do the opposite, don't they? They seem to hammer this idea of staying, persevering, finishing. Colossians says, be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Endurance and patience, it's not just about starting, but staying. James 1 says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Remain steadfast. Don't just start, but remain, stay. The the Apostle Paul talks about finishing the race with endurance in Acts 20, 1 Corinthians 9, 2 Timothy 4. Hebrews 12, 1 says, let us run with endurance the race set before us. It's all over the the scriptures, all over the New Testament. In fact, Jesus even tells a parable about a sower. It's called the parable of the sower, but really, to me, it's more like the parable of the soil, right? Because it's four different types of soil, and one guy who's scattering seed, and he scatters seed just everywhere, just the same in every area, and the seed is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It lands on different soils, different hearts. It's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can read it some other time, but the emphasis ends up being on the staying, not the starting, because some falls on the path and the birds eat it, and Jesus says that's the devil taking the seed away. They didn't understand it, and and the devil came in and took the seed away, and then some seed falls on rocky soil, and it, it, it creates some roots, but it's shallow, and it springs up, and then the sun comes out and scorches it, and the plant dies, and it doesn't bear fruit. And Jesus said, those are the people who receive the gospel with a glad heart and they respond, but they don't stay. They start, but they don't stay there. They don't remain. They go for a little bit, but then they give up. Difficulties cause them to give up. And then some other seed is scattered in some thorns and 
the, the, the plant again springs up, but then over time, the thorns and the thistles, they choke that plant out. And Jesus says that what happened was that they received the gospel, they had some roots, but then as their plant grew, as they went on, uh, the cares of this world, he says, and the deceitfulness of riches came up and choked that plant out before it could bear fruit. And so... They, they had faith for a while, but they didn't stay there. They started, but they didn't stay. Then finally, there's the good soil. And this is the person who hears the word, understands it, understands it, and perseveres. They stay and they bear fruit. So the Bible seems to care much more about the staying than the starting, doesn't it? The, the starting is important, but not as much as the staying, right? Look at Jude 17. Jude 17, he says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the, pro the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own godly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So, so there's a lot going on in this long sentence, but this whole thing is anchored by this command, keep yourselves in the love of God, building, praying, waiting, and even what comes next in verse 22, it's all tied to this command. And, and, and first, Jude says to do that, you need to remember and he's been hammering this drum the whole letter. Remember, remember, remember. This time he says, remember what the apostles said. They said that there would be people who would come in, ungodly, worldly people, devoid of the spirit, who would come into the church and try to deceive you, causing division. He's going, I'm not the only one warning about this. They said it would happen, and it's happening now. Pay attention. Jude's going, you have to fight for the faith. And to fight, you have to persevere. You have to stay. You started, but now you have to stay. You have, you have faith, but now you have to keep it. And before this, he said, remember the, the Israelites who didn't believe God, don't be like them. Remember the angels who rebelled against God, don't be like them. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah, how they ran after their own sinful desires, don't be like them. Remember Cain, Balaam, Korah, don't be like them. They were all destroyed and you will be too if you follow in their footsteps. Remember, remember, remember. I was reading the other day, about the, this Holocaust uh, museum in Germany that has all of these relics and pictures and everything uh, showing the horrible years of World War II. And I've, I've been to a Holocaust museum, and it's unbelievably sad and sobering. Uh, but in this particular museum, as people leave, they pass by a sign next to the exit doors that says, those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat its mistakes. Those who do not learn from history are condemned to repeat its mistakes. And I think Jude would approve of this sign. He's talking about remember. He said in verse 5, I want you to, I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it. You knew this before, but it's important that you remember. It's important that you remember. He, Jude is he's hammering away at the same idea. You have to remember. You, you can't forget. Remember to stay and fight for the faith. We have to remember. 
We are unbelievably fickle, forgetful people, are we not? I mean, we are so forgetful. You and I can weep with joy over the cross and the grace of God in the cross today and then tomorrow knowingly and intentionally step back into the, into the depths of our sin as if that never happened the day before, right? We can read a scripture and believe it and accept it as truth one day and then totally reverse position the next day because someone in our family or one of our friends has a different opinion. We are fickle, forgetful people. We may start off well, running fast with the right intent, but most of us, most of the time, do not stay there. We start, but we don't stay, and that's why over and over and over in the Old Testament, God is telling his people, build a monument, create a festival, do this every week on the seventh day, or the sixth day of the, the seventh day, the Sabbath, the seventh day, sorry, math, right? The seventh day uh, of the week, do this whole thing, get, a, get some stones and stack them up, get 12 stones, stack them up. I just want you to do something. God is just saying over and over and over, do something to remind yourself, remember me, do whatever it takes to remember me. Don't forget, I don't want you to forget. You, you forget so easily, but the only way you'll remain, the only way you'll stay, the only way you'll persevere is if you intentionally and purposefully remember. God says. And the good news is that God has set this whole thing up, this whole system up to help you remember. He's given us this rhythm to remember him by, right? Sunday, the first day of the week, we come to church and we worship with the family of God to remind ourselves that Jesus is first. The Sabbath, we rest to remind ourselves that the world will not cease spinning if we don't produce, right? The world is going to be okay if we take a break and that God doesn't need us to produce for him in order for us to receive his love. The tithe, we give him the first 10% of our income as a start, as a minimum, to remind ourselves that all that we have, like Pastor Brennan was talking about, all that we have is his anyways. It's a reminder. Communion, we're, we're going to take communion together in a few minutes. We eat bread and drink juice, not because it's yummy, but to remind ourselves of, of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Church, Sabbath, tithe, communion, there's this rhythm, right? There's this rhythm, and, and it reminds us to keep the love of God, to keep the faith. It keeps us in the faith. So staying, remaining, keeping in the faith, that's what really matters, for you, for your kids, for your family, for your neighbors, it's all that really matters. And, and, and I would just say that the main thing here is intentionality. The main thing here is purposeful action. You have to realize that your default is to lose your way. If you let yourself just go whatever way, it will be the wrong way. If you think this is just going to take care of itself, you will absolutely lose. You will absolutely forget. You will absolutely fail to fight for faith. There's no doubt. This does not just happen. You have to sit down and think about it. You have to sit down as a couple and talk through it, you and your spouse, and think about how are we going to set our lives up in such a way that we remember, that we remain, that we stay. 
Not just start, but stay. How are you going to keep yourself in the love of God? A lot of this is handled by intentionality, just sitting down and talking through it, asking the tough questions, getting the calendar out, trying to figure out how we can orient our lives around this truth. Create a system that keeps us in the faith. So our forgetfulness causes us to to not keep the faith, to not stay there. And if if we're going to remain and we're going to keep in the love of God and even fight for faith and remembering, intentionally and purposefully remembering is, is the key. But another thing that causes us to start but not stay in faith uh, that I want to talk to you about is, is trials, uh, tr- tribulations, tragedy, difficult times, right? Um, when you come against those, it's hard to persevere. In fact, when the Bible is talking about persevering and having endurance and, and remaining and keeping and staying, obviously it's talking about persevering in difficult times, right? We don't usually say persevere through vacation. I mean, if you have a bunch of kids, maybe that's what you have to do. We don't usually say persevere through a steak dinner. If you do, something's wrong. You're eating steak wrong, all right? You don't know how to eat steak because it's not something you have to persevere through, right? It's not something you have to endure. We talk about persevering through bad times. Jude here is writing to to a group of early church Christians who are not living the easy life. It's not normal or cool to be Christian at this time. It's not easy to jump in the car and head to church on Sunday morning and worship God and sing songs and laugh with your church family in an air-conditioned building set just right so that nobody complains, right? Impossible. (laughs) There are no little fish bumper stickers at this time. No Christian t-shirts. They're just being persecuted. They are being murdered for Jesus. There's this historical document, a a letter written by a governor within the Roman Empire named Pliny around this time, and he he writes this letter to the emperor asking for guidance about handling Christians. He just can't figure out how to get them to stop saying that Jesus is their king, and he can't can't figure it out, and so he writes this letter uh, to the Roman emperor for some guidance, and I I love it because it gives us an idea of how early Christian, early church Christians were uh, from somebody who's outside the faith, and and this is what he asks, this is what he says, this is what he writes. He says, I interrogated these as to whether they were Christians. Those who confessed, I interrogated a second time and a third time, threatening them with punishment. Those who persisted, I ordered executed. When they invoked the gods, offered prayer to your image, or moreover, cursed Christ, none of which those who are really Christians, it said, can be forced to do, these I thought should be discharged. So the Christians Jude is talking to They're being interrogated, threatened, beaten, and murdered for their faith. And Jude is writing and telling them, stand up and fight. Fight for faith. Keep in the love of God. Remain, persevere, stay. And this reminds me of James 1. Check it out on the screen. James says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. 
Steadfastness is just another word for perseverance. James is saying that when you face trials and tragedy, you should be happy, which is crazy, right? Let's just be honest. You read James 1, you're like, what? Be, count it joy. Why would I be happy that I face, like people who face tragedy in life and laugh about it are, are crazy, right? Let's be honest. They're crazy, and so we don't really understand this. Like, I got in a car accident, and I can't see out of my left eye. Yeah! Is that, that would be weird, right? Or, or somebody's saying, hey, good news, I just lost my job. What? Or writing a, a Facebook post, praise report. Everybody in my family just died, hashtag all alone. Too much? I don't know. No, it's weird. This is crazy. But what James is saying is that most people give up. Most people forget. Most people do not persevere. It's not about starting. It's about staying. And the ones who do stay, the ones who do remain steadfast until the very end, they're the ones that God has sent trials of many kinds to test their faith and produce in them perseverance that will get them to the end that will last. He's saying you're mad at God because things are tough, but trust me, it's a good thing. If God left you on a mountaintop, if God left you at the highest level of joy or happiness in your life, all of the time, you'd absolutely forget him. No question about it. You'd go your own way. You'd start to think that you were the one who got yourself here on the mountaintop. And in the end, you'd be lost. There would be no fruit. You wouldn't fight for faith. But through trial, James is saying, that's how your faith becomes real. That's how your roots go deep. That's when you really depend on God and you develop this perseverance. That's how you stay in him. You see, we think grace and blessing is ease, health, wealth. But that's dangerously short-sighted. Dangerously so. Blessing. True blessing from God is based on the eternal, not the temporary. Are you tracking with me? Are you tracking with me? All right, you're not ready for that, it's fine. In other words, God's God's after your heart, not your happiness. That's a tough truth, isn't it? God's after your heart, not your happiness. And knowing the tendency of your heart to rebel against him and worship created things over your creator when everything is going well, it wouldn't be loving of him to to keep you from trial, tragedy, and hard times, would it? I mean, it would be the opposite. What I'm saying is think about it. If trials really do produce perseverance like James is talking about, and this whole thing is about perseverance, not just starting, but staying, then if you were destitute, poor, sick, living on the street for 80 out of 80 years on earth, but you kept the faith and you kept the love of God and you entered into eternity with him, it would be worth it, right? It would be worth it. I mean, what's 80 years in 200? What's 80 years in 500? A smaller fraction, right? In 1,000, in 10,000. As you go out in the scope of eternity, this 80 years becomes so small you can't even see it. This life is but a temporary blip on the map of forever. 
Jude is saying, I I know things are tough. I know your friends and your family are dying for the faith. I know the tendency is to hide, to run, maybe even to give up, but don't. You have to fight. Fight for faith in the face of the worst times. You've started this journey, and that's a good thing. Now you have to stay. Now you have to remain. Now you have to persevere. So keep yourself in the love of God by remembering, don't forget, be intentional. And by expecting and trusting God through tragedy and trial, no matter how long they last. One more angle I want to help you see this from real quick. Jude says, keep yourself in the love of God. It reminds me of what Jesus said in John 14. Jude's not the first one to use this word keep in this way. It'll be on the screen. But Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. It's on the screen. You guys got it? Ready? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then he said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. So to keep ourselves in the love of God is to keep God's commandments, to keep Jesus' commandments, and and that's how we fight for faith. We keep his commandments. And there's an important distinction I want to make here because a lot of you, when I said that, keep the commandments, you're like, oh, here we go. It's just a checklist. Religion, just a bunch of do's and don'ts. If I mess up, I'm out, right? I got to be perfect. Got to check the list. Got to do all that. But what I want to tell you, what I want you to hear is that you don't keep God's commandments for his love. You keep them because of his love. In other words, you don't keep God's commandments to be saved. You keep them because you're already saved. Are you tracking with me? There's a difference. We are saved by grace, through faith, by no work of our own. That's absolutely true. There's nothing you could possibly do to earn salvation. But that doesn't mean obedience, righteousness, keeping his commandments, good works aren't in the mix here, right? That doesn't mean we don't even think about those things. It just means that, we're, that, that those things, works, fruit, keeping his commands, that they're a byproduct instead of a prerequisite. Jesus isn't saying you have to clean yourself up and follow all of the law without messing up before he loves you, before he accepts you, before he saves you. What he's saying is that if you are his, if you are saved, if you have accepted his love, if you've truly submitted your life to him and received his love, then you'll naturally want to follow his commands, right? You'll naturally want to be like him. You'll naturally want to please him, to be obedient to him, to become more like him. So it might not be everything, but it's not nothing either. If you want to be one who stays, one who keeps one who remains, one who perseveres and fights for faith, then you want to look at your life and just ask yourself, am I keeping the commandments of Jesus? Am I keeping God's commandments? Am I following his commandments? Because he didn't say, if you love him, you'll say it. If you love him, if you love him, you'll declare it. If you love him, you'll confess it and commit to it. He said, if you love him, you'll follow his commands. You'll do them. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. And in verse 1, Jude wrote, to those who are called beloved in God and the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. Keep yourselves for God. It makes me think of wedding vows. The, the pastor says, do you take this man to be your wedded husband to live together after God's holy ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Do you promise to love him, honor him, and keep him in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, keep yourself only unto him so long as you both shall live? And the bride-to-be says what? I do. But listen, beloved. It's only words. It's only intentions. It's at best a start. But if you've been married longer than five minutes, you know that it's the walking out of that commitment. It's the keeping of that promise. It's the living out of those words. Not the starting, but the staying that really matters. My fear is that some of us are really good at starting. We're just not that great at staying. We're not that great at staying in the fight. And if, if you're going to fight for faith like Jude wants you to, just like I'm trying to teach Kennedy and Joshua, it's, it's the staying that matters. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that speaks to us every single day. Your word that is supernatural and its ability to read us, and its ability to transform us. I pray, as I always do, that your words would be the one that, ones that are remembered, not mine. Um, that this message, whatever is from you, that it would sink deep into our hearts, that it would create faith, Jesus, that you would, that it would haunt us, this message, this word would haunt us, this idea of remembering this idea of facing challenges and trials, this idea of keeping your commandments all in order to remain, to persevere, to stay. Let us be excited about the starting, but even more excited about the staying. As you have your eyes closed and your heads bowed, maybe you're here, and I just want to give you a moment before we take communion together, before we worship the Lord in a couple more songs. I just want to give you a moment just to make a decision. Maybe you're here and you, you love the Lord. You've given your life to him at, at some point. But if you're honest, you, this message to you means that you need to step up your game a little bit. You need to set up your life in a way that you remember him, in a way that you really follow through on the priorities you say are in place. You're, maybe you're facing trials or, or have faced them and, and you feel like giving up on God. You feel like... He's not there for you. But today you're going, you know what? I, I realized that if he left me at the highest point in my life, I would absolutely forget him. And, and so you're trying to figure out how to, how to find joy in trial. Maybe you're going, man, I don't keep the commandments of God. I don't make that a priority. And because of that, I'm not able to keep in the love of God. I'm not able to remain, persevere, stay. I started... I'm not staying all that way, all that well. If that's you, I just encourage you. You're a Christian. You just confess. Just confess to the Lord. 
confess to somebody who you trust and love and who loves you and to say, I, God, I need your help. It's not about I'm going to do better tomorrow. I'm going to find the willpower to fix this. It's about Holy Spirit, I depend on you more. I need your help. Help me, help me get this right. Repentance, confession, changing, that's, all, that's not all, you know, just for the first time you give your life to Christ. A true Christian is doing that on a regular basis. And so just do that right now where you are. You don't need my help. Just make that decision. Be different. Ask the Holy Spirit to transform you. But maybe you're in here and you, you've never started. You know, we're talking about remaining. We're talking about staying. But you've never really started if that's you, again, I just want to give you a moment to, to make a decision for Christ. If you want to give your life to Christ, now is a great time to do that. Just tell him, Lord, help me start. Help me start today. Let this be my starting point. But let it not be a flash in the pan. Let it not be seed that goes into rocky soil or, or on the path or in thorns and thistles. But let your seed, of your gospel, find good fruit or good soil in my heart and create fruit, Lord. Just, just say, I don't want to just start today, God. I want to I remain. I want to stay. If you want to give your life to Jesus today, I just invite you to do that. You don't need to raise your hand or say a specific prayer. Just tell him where you're at and ask him to come into your life and transform you. Submit your life to him. We're going to have, we're going to take communion in a, in a moment. And then we're also gonna have our prayer workers ready after communion during the last couple songs of our service just to pray with you. If you're either of these, if you're saying, man, I need to, I'm a Christian, but I, I, got, a, I got something specific that the Lord spoke to me and I, I want the Holy Spirit to help me and I need to confess. Maybe you don't tell all the details to a prayer worker, but you just ask for prayer. If you're giving your life to Jesus for the first time today, I definitely want you to get prayer um, as right after we take communion or as you take communion, there'll be prayer workers on each side. So here's my prayer for you. May you take the time to set your life up in such a way that you remember God and his faithfulness. May your faith be strengthened instead of weakened by the inevitable tra trials and tragedies of life. And as you go out to fight for faith, May you start well, but above all else, may you stay well also. God bless you. Worship with us these last few songs and take communion. Pastor Nate's gonna lead us in that.